you may be seated. A little background about the book of John. Uh, uh, it was written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, many of you probably know that John is often called the beloved disciple. Uh, and it is believed that John wrote this book to inspire faith in Jesus. You know, it is considered one of the more uh, spiritual books rather than the other. His accounts are a little bit more deeper and talk more about the Spirit of God than the other books of Mark and Luke and, and, and Matthew. Uh, the main theme that we're going to find in John is that, uh, that if you have an encounter with Jesus, if you have a, an encounter with him in some way, uh, it demands a response. In, in other words, as a result of coming in contact with him and believing that we have eternal life, is going to encourage or demand a response to that uh, coming in contact with him, uh, similar to when, when uh, Saul came in contact with Jesus. And he got that revelation on Damascus Road. As a result of that, coming into that uh, knowledge of him brought about a change. So some of the key words that you'll find in John, the primary one, is it talks about believe and believe and believe. You're going to hear that quite often. Uh, some of the features in John, uh, uh, Christ give more complete revelation of himself and of God uh, in John more so than in, in any other gospel. Uh, John, this uh, discourse and conversation that are only found in John, some things that you will see here that you won't see in the other books. In other words, none of the other books uh, record the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus or the encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman uh, at the well, and none of the other books record uh, Jesus' parable of the good shepherd. Those are things that is only found in John. Now, John record, record more miracles uh, than any of the other gospels. In other words, it's believed that he record these miracles of Jesus to uh, convince uh, the believers that Jesus was both God and man, that he was divine and human all at the same time. And, and so when we go through and start reading uh, this book, you know, John starts out at the very beginning. So when John starts, he don't record Jesus' birth like some of the other gospels. He, he go all the way back to make the point that Jesus existed long before we knew of him in the flesh. And so he, that's why he starts in the beginning. And I'll make a, a note of that when we get there. And so when you look at uh, this prologue uh, of uh, the first say, 16 or so verses of, of this book, uh, it talks about Christ being the eternal word. So let's look at this, and I go now to uh, the book in chapter 1 from uh, ver verse 1. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Somebody say the word. Now, Jesus is depicted. Later on, he's going to let you know that Jesus is the word, so we're going to say it now because I think most of you that have read the Bible got a good, clear understanding that Jesus often depicted himself as the Word. Now, when we hear people talk about the Word, have you ever been to uh, um, uh, uh, some type of performance where people say, we're going to speak the spoken Word, where people get up and kind of reveal things through their speech. And so what we're seeing here is that when we see the Word, we got to see it as God is saying, I am going to reveal myself through my son. 
And so therefore, when Jesus says, in the, be the Bible says, in the beginning, the word already existed. So he's saying, long before he was physically born, he existed. He's taken back and gone all the way to the Genesis story. In the beginning, God created. And he says, at that point in Genesis, he talked about, let us make man. So he's making the point that Jesus existed long before he was formally born of a woman. So the point here, in the beginning, the word already existed. Then he says, the word was with God, and the word was God. So now he's trying to make the point that Jesus was both divine and human. He was with God and he was God. Now, I don't want to have the time to get that deep into when people talk about the Trinity. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that, 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 that doctrine has been presented many different ways. And so everybody don't really agree how we can say Jesus is God or he's the Son of God and him, the God, and the Holy Spirit are all one. Some people try to explain it as if Jesus is, God is one entity, but it's only in, in, in three people in one entity. Meaning like, uh, if I say I am, to some people, I am Pastor Boulder. To some people, I may be Daddy Boulder. And to somebody, I may be Mr. Boulder. Three different relationships all aimed at the same person. But then others say, no, there's three distinct persons. And the Bible lends itself to that. You see that often in the Bible when it talks about him being seated at the right hand. In essence, in essence, they're all three in essence, but they're three different beings. So when, when Jesus was in the earth, the Holy Spirit was in him, but not in the earth for us. When Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit back us. So again, when you hear people talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, there are some people don't accept the Trinity, don't accept the triune God. And so it's something that when we see John talk about all three, because when, when in Matthew, when they say Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit descended down on him, on him like a dove, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased giving us some idea that there are three distinct beings operating in a Godhead. Does that make sense to everybody? And so however you can receive that and understand that is, it, it, it's best for you because, again, depending on what you read, you're going to see people have different viewpoints on that. So that's nothing that got to do with your salvation. You don't have to say you're a Trinitarian in order to believe that it's not that important. But that is doctrine that theologians argue about. And so I try to just trying to present you both sides of that argument and then I'll let you know that Jesus is both divine and human. That makes sense? Hope so. Okay, so now look at this. It's going to come even clear when he start talking. He says in verse 2, he existed in the beginning with God. He said, God created everything through. So Jesus was an agent of creation. 
and nothing was created except through him. Well, he's talking about the word still. So now he says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Now there's another term now that you see Jesus says what? I am the light of the world. Now we hear people talk about light all the time. You know, people that are kind of knowledgeable or deep in thought. They say, you know, I want to share some light on something. I want to share some light with you. I want to enlighten you. I am saying that I want to share some knowledge that is going to expand your thinking, open up your mind. And so therefore he says now, Jesus is the light of the world. He brought light to everybody. So here is talking about when you know Jesus, you get a knowledge of who God is. He enlightened your mind so that if you understand Jesus, you can understand God. Because he is God in the flesh. Is that making sense? So when, I, when people say, well, I want to know how God would do certain things, then all you got to do is study Jesus. Because if you study him and know how he would do things, then that way you will see how God would do things. So he says he brought light to everyone. Now just because he brought light to everybody don't mean everybody wanted to receive the light. Because the light always comes into darkness. And darkness don't always want to receive the light. And darkness talking about the mindset of the people in the world because the prince in power of the air is the prince of darkness. So before Jesus, our eyes were blinded by the darkness that the world see through Satan. And so as a result, when Jesus come to shine light on that darkness, if our eyes are open to receive the light, then now we walk in accordance with the light and not walk in darkness. Because light reveals, light guides, light exposes certain things, but it also allows us to continue to see certain things. See things that would, we would not normally see. So he says, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Light always will overpower darkness. Okay? You, you can turn every light out in this room, and with one flashlight, you can navigate your way through this room. Light has a power to overtake darkness. Now look here. Now in verse 6, John make a, a abrupt change in his, his conversation, and he jumped from talking about Jesus as being the light to now jump on Jesus' cousin. And who Jesus' cousin was? Everybody know who that was? Jesus' cousin. Well, it's right there. John the Baptist. Did y'all didn't know John was Jesus' cousin? Now get this. John was born before Jesus. But then now he's going to make it clear that Jesus existed before him. So now he comes and says that, hey, it is my job to reveal to the world who Jesus is. I am the one, the forerunner. I'm the one to come and, and, and let everybody know that the one you're looking for is here. That's why John is often called a herald of the gospel, someone who proclaims something before it shows up. Now look at this. He says this. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell everybody 
to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. In other words, John was hoping that when he started talking about Jesus being the light, that people were going to believe the testimony. It's no different than, John was no different than we are today. After we have been exposed to the light of Christ, then now it's our job now to share that light with those who are in darkness. And they have a choice to either believe what you are saying or not believe. So therefore, he says, John himself was not the light. He was simply, to, simply a witness to tell about the light. Now look at this in verse 9. It says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John was there to just let us know that Jesus was coming. He was letting them know at the time that Jesus was coming. The one who had been prophesied about was now coming. And so he says, look, he said in verse 10, he says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Now, world there is not talking about the earth as we know it as this huge mass. World there is talking about people. He came in the world in human form, but the people of the world, primarily the people he came to, the Jews, did not recognize him. Then he goes further to explain that to us when he says he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So now John is continuing to build his case about who Jesus was and what he came to do, and that he was the word, but the word became flesh, went amongst his own people, and they didn't believe the very word that was prophesied to them. Is this making any sense to anybody? Y'all got to follow what John is trying to get across. Now look at this. He says, verse 12 says, but all who believe, well, who do you think he's talking to there, all who believe? Yeah, you. I mean, you. That, this passage can apply to you right now. But all who believe in him and accept him, so if that is you, then this next part says, he gave you the right to become children of God. So because you believe in the word, because you have seen the light, now you have the right to call yourself a child of God. Y'all all say amen to that. You got a right. It, ain't, it is not something you got to go and beg for. You got a right. You know, when you get rights, that's something that nobody can take from you. And so God has given you the right to call yourself a child of God because you have believed in the word of God, the light of God, the son of God. Understand? God in the flesh. So when we accept him, we get the invitation to become children of God. Man, that's all right there, <laughs> is that you know that you're a child of God. That's why the old folks say, you know, some people, you, don't, you can call, call me everything but a child of God. You know, that means somebody really said some crazy stuff to you. But, now, but, but you got to know who you are. And so when people don't know who, you are, who they are, they don't know how to identify themselves. But when I know that I'm a child of God, 
then along with that come an identity of who I really am. And so therefore, because I believe in him, I have to carry myself like a child of God. I got the authority to carry myself like a child of God and believe that I know who my heavenly father is. And so with that comes rights, benefits, and privileges. And because a lot of people don't know who they are based upon who they're supposed to be believing in, they live, and even come, some people who come to church, they live below their privileges because they don't know who they are. And so if I'm a child of God and I'm obeying my father, then there's certain things that I ought to believe that I have access to, I have the right to have because of who I am and who I belong to. Just making any sense to anybody? So he said, now look, now how do we do this? We have the right to become children of God. Then he says in 13, they were, somebody said reborn. Now in the old church, they say born again. So if you was brought up when I was brought up going to the Baptist church, everybody told you, you've been born again, born again, born again. Have you been born again? You know, you ain't, you've been saved? Yeah, but have you been born again? Well, like later on we're going to see in this, in, this, in this book of John, it's when Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. And he tells him, hey, you got to be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, he's not talking about going back into your mama's womb and coming out again. He's saying that there's something on the inside of you that's dead, and it got to be born again. When Adam sinned in the garden, something died. And see, Jesus came so that when we accept him, that spirit that was in us already comes back to life. So that's why we say we've been born again of the spirit, not of the flesh. Nothing is going to change in your flesh. You're going to still be the same person you was this morning when you look in the mirror. But on the inside, there's a rebirth that can take place in your spirit. Look at this. He says, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now look at this. He says in verse 14, so the word became human. Now he talked about this very word in verse 14. One, that said existed before the world existed, he says now the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now get this. This is where y'all got to look and say, see something here. If the word is God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh, and he's saying that he became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Then guess what that's telling you? God is full of love and faithfulness. So that's why we go back always say, God is love. God is faithful because Jesus was full of that and he was representing God in the earth. Then when we understand that about Jesus, we understand that about God. And that's what you got to see. When we can understand how Jesus did things and understand the things that he said and taught, 
then guess, guess what? He give us light. He give us insight to what God is like. He says, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Talk about the splendor and greatness of God that was revealed through Jesus and him being God's only Son, one and only Son. Now, right there is where a lot of people have a problem with Christianity because they're a religion that don't believe that, a, that God would have a son. And so therefore, the, the, the dilemma is, is that because of that belief, people would not recognize or acknowledge Jesus as being the son of God. They don't mind Jesus being a prophet or a teacher or some great man like other religious figures, but when we say he is the son of God, people believe that God would not have a son in human form. But we have to believe that because that is the foundation of Christianity. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. If he wasn't the son of God, then everything that we're doing is in vain. If we don't believe his birth and who he is and how he represented God in the earth and we don't believe his death, burial, and resurrection, if we don't believe all that to be factual and true, then everything we've said about Christianity, we might as well be like any other religion. If you take Jesus out of the picture and just talk God, we all religions have some of the ba same basic tenets. If you go to Islam, if you go to Hinduism, all of them would talk about love as a basic tenor. And all of them talk about how to treat people right as, a ba as basic tenors. And they will all acknowledge that they have great leaders, prophets that founded their religion. So as long as you just keep things aimed at God, big G-O-D, going up the mountain with all these trails, everybody will say we're going to the same God. Because Abraham can be traced through all major religions. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism trace their roots through Abraham. The disconnect comes when you say that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why as Christians, you can't just talk in the God realm all the time. Because when you, everybody acknowledges God somewhere. You get guys on the stage, get the Emmy Award, hey, I want to give God some glory. Okay. But you got to know, is this the same God that comes through Jesus Christ? So that's what distinguishes him being the son of God from any other religion. Because Jesus called himself, presented himself, said he was the son of God, and that he was God in the beginning. So every now and then, when I'm having conversation with people, I don't mind just talking about God in a generic form. But now, you know, at some point in time, I have to ask the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the light of the world? Then now that's when you're going to find out some people are going to back away from that conversation because they're going to say, well... I believe in a higher being. I believe in a da-da-da-da. I believe there's an energy out there. Something. Okay, I got it. If you, got a, you believe that that was the energy that created the world, I, I can talk to you. But do you believe that energy had a son? 
Well, I ain't sure about that. Well, that's where the disconnect gonna come. So sometimes, yes, when we want to be ecumenical and we just talk generic, God, 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 but every now and then you got to throw some Jesus in there. Amen. And sometimes Jesus is a deal breaker. Amen. Okay, I know y'all don't want to hear, but he said, look, so, so now look here, he says, verse 15, says, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds. John being the forerunner, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Now, there were some people that probably heard that and said, man, John sounded like a fool. I know he was born before Jesus. So he older than Jesus. So how can he stand here and say Jesus existed before me? So when they look at that from a natural standpoint, maybe John got a point. But when he's talking about Jesus, he's talking way beyond his physical birth when he came out of Mary. He's talking about he existed long before he even showed up in Mary. So that's why he says, you know, he existed before I, I did, but I'm here to tell you about the one that is coming. All I am is a messenger to carry this message to everybody about someone that existed long before I did. He says, from his abundance, we have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Moses came to reveal the law to us that God gave them, and the law reveals God's nature. Jesus came to fulfill God's law and to introduce us to grace, mercy, and love. And because of that, there are some penalties that's under the law that because we are children of God that we know that we're no longer subject to. Because of who we are and who we believe in, he freed us from the bondage and the curse of the law when he took on all our sin and God used him as the sacrifice for our sins in accordance with the law. So he said, now, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son is himself God and is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Wow. John is saying, look, Brother Purdue, you have never seen God. God's a spirit. You've not seen him. But if you want to know who he is, you need to know Jesus. Because Jesus has revealed God to you. So when people say, what do you know about God? All you got to do is ask yourself, what do I know about Jesus? Because if I understand his character, is I understand the things that he did and how he conducted himself, then when I see him and understand him, I get a good understanding of how God does things. And see, that's important because now as children of God, we need to be imitate our father. Now look at this. 
After that, now after John said those things in his writing, he now turns his testimony to the testimony of John the Baptist, you know. And he started talking about some of the things that, that John did. And I'm in verse 19. In 19 through 28, look at this. He says, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? Indicating, you know, they heard his message, but everybody wanted to know who are you? And his way, this way he says, he came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. So because of his message and what he was saying, there were some people that may have thought he was the one. So they came from Jerusalem to inquire, but John made it clear, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. And apparently John may have been doing some, working some miracles and saying some things and changing people's lives because John's had followers too. And so, but when the religious people inquired, he made it clear that he wasn't the one. Now that would have been a good time for John to get the big head. Say, if they think I'm Jesus, they don't know no different. I need to act like and pretend to be that. But he realized what his job was, what his role was. His role was to be a heralder, was to be the one who identified the one who was coming. And sometimes when we're in life, sometimes everybody got to just know your role. Everybody don't have the same role when we're doing certain things, but it's easy and life go better when everybody know their role. Life get confusing when roles get crossed up. So John took this opportunity to let them know that I am not the Messiah. Because that's who they was looking for, and he could have easily just portrayed himself as that. But look what he says. Well then, they ask, who are you? They ask him, are you Elijah? Well, you remember Elijah was a great prophet. He says, no. He replied, are you the prophet we are expecting? John said, no. In other words, John had an opportunity to kind of portray himself as somebody that he wasn't. But because he knew what his role was, he said no to those questions. Now look at this. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Here's how John comes back. John replied, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the coming, for the Lord's coming. I'm just a voice. Now get this. Because you are saved and because you have acknowledged Jesus as a light and he's revealed himself to you, you're supposed to be that voice now. You're supposed to be carrying that testimony about the light that has come into the 
world. You're supposed to be the one being that light that is shining in darkness. He says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. The world is supposed to see him now through us. Amen. And so that's why it's important that when we call ourselves Christian, we have to realize we are representing him because we are children of God. That make any sense to everybody? So they was inquiring, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet, I'm the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, clear the way of the coming of the Lord. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? In other words, John the Baptist, maybe that's why he got the name John the Baptist from John the Baptizer. In other words, he was baptizing people into this, into this relationship, initiating them into this relationship of the one who he was talking about. Now, in the old days, before that, when the Jews proselytized people, in other words, when they brought people into Judaism, it was common practice. If you were a heathen or you were a non-Jew and you came into the faith, they would baptize you into the faith. So they're saying, hey, you don't have a right to be baptizing for. Because that's something that we ought to be doing. So they want to know, you know, do you have, what right do you have to baptize? And this is what John says. John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Through his, though his ministry follow mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps on his sandals. In other words, John said, look, while you're inquiring about me, there's someone here who's greater than I am. And I am not even worthy to be his slave, to be a servant, to unstrap his sandals. In other words, I am just doing this until he came on the scene. When he comes on the scene, then I decrease so that he may increase. John could at this time say, man, I got my followers too. You know, I'm going to keep on doing my thing. But John knew when Jesus came on the scene, his mission had been accomplished. I I'm here to tell you about the one that's coming. I'm not him. So I'm not going to pretend and carry myself like I'm the Messiah when I am not the Messiah, even though I got a following. And so that's why I say today, as ministers of the gospel and pastors over churches, we have to always remember, we may have a following, but we ain't the Messiah. You know, we're not the Savior. Our job is to shine a light on the true light and to allow people to recognize him and not us. Amen. So, so it's about him, and that's what John was trying to say. I'm not going to usurp the one who is the Messiah. I'm not going to try to take his glory and pretend I am him, even though the Lord may be using me in a mighty way. I'm not going to allow that to cause me to get out of focus from realizing who I really am and what God called me to do. 
I'm just one shouting in the wilderness. Come see the one who is the true Messiah. He said, now verse 20, I'll read it again. He says, though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Now, next we see after that encounter, John started talking about Jesus again now from light and then now he started talking about Jesus as the lamb. So we go from the light of the world to the lamb of God. Now this analogy would touch the Jews because they understood what lambs were normally used for. So, so, so when we read this you kind of look at it in, the, in this context. Look at it. He says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the... Well, under the law, lambs are normally sacrificed in order to take away the sin of the people. So John, it says, Look, here's the one that is coming. He is the Lamb of God. Now, we done talked about him being a light, we don't talk about being the son. Now he said, hey, he is the sacrifice of God, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin, not just of the Jews, but the sins of the world. That's why I say Jesus is the savior of the world, because he came to take away the sins of the world. The penalty and the bondage and the, and the curse that comes along with sin Jesus came to take those away because under the law, no one could ever keep the law. And so therefore, there was this penalty always on the people's head. So Jesus came to fulfill that so that when we believe in him, we're no longer under the curse of the law. And so now we have an avenue to get back to God through Jesus that the law didn't allow. And so in fulfilling the law, Jesus now take on this role as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all people. Now look at this in verse 30. Say, here's the one I'm talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Well, taking John's testimony, and going back and tying it to what John the Baptist's testimony and going back and tying it to what John himself said at the very first, uh, chapter, very first chapter of John, when he said, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now he comes down here and says, for he existed long before me. Now, in the natural, someone listening to that saying, man, what is John talking about? Jesus at least six months to a year older than he is. Now he's still talking about he existed long before me. John was making a, this spiritual connection. And so that's why sometimes when we read the Bible, you're going to have to make connections to when God is talking about things in the spirit realm versus things in the natural. Because sometimes 
when we read this book, it is not going to make sense to our natural mind. Amen. It, it, it is going to confound us. It's going to go against some things that our natural mind may think is this way, but God's thinking is not always like our thinking. His reason is not like we reason. So therefore, that's when it comes to us being able to trust this word as being true, even when our natural mind don't want to receive it. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Ken. You got a mic? Get a mic. When it says uh, the word, in the beginning was the word, is it, what is it referring to? Is it written word or spoken word? What word is it like really referring to? In the beginning, you know, the word already existed. He's talking, they're talking about that, 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 that knowledge of who God is already existed. And Jesus is that word, like you say, that spoken word, that written word, the word, that logos. Meaning, you know, and so therefore he's saying that that word that, that we get as Jesus being the word, he existed before, in the beginning. He was there, was the word. Now he is just coming in the flesh as we use the word word so that we can understand that he is like God revealing himself through a written word, through a living word, through the life of Jesus. God is revealing himself through the word. Yeah, that makes sense? You know, it, it's kind of tough, but, but and, and so what he's trying to get us to see is that, you know, is that when we get that and understand that Jesus is the word, just like we understand that Jesus is the light, God, uh, Jesus used a lot of things, and John used many of them to talk about Jesus. Jesus said, you know, water, the living water, you know, a lot of things is used to depict him and how he represents God in the earth. John here mostly used word and light. Okay? Look at this. Where was that? 31? I was already down to 31? Woo, man, I'm making good time. Then he says, I, in verse 31 says, I do not recognize him, I do not recognize him as the Messiah, but I am being baptized, I am being baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. He says, now, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified. He says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and rested upon him. So now John, if you go back and read Matthew's account of this, then you'll get a feel for what he was saying when John baptized Jesus. Now, John, John the Baptist, not John the apostle here, John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, he says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. Matthew say, I saw the Spirit descending and he heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son who I am well pleased. Again, making that concept that there is this triune God 
That is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. And there are several places in the New Testament, especially in Paul writing, where he make that distinction, which we get that concept of a tr the trinity of the Godhead. Okay? So, so now look at it. He says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the spirit of sin and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Other accounts, John, you know, and, and some other versions say, John said, I came to baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of controversy around how that is written there, because if you take that word in there and just equate that to Acts chapter 2, you would think that that in order to have a true baptism with the Spirit, you got to have the same experience that the people had in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is talking about when all the disciples in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descended upon them to, to uh, allow them to speak in tongues so that the people could understand them in their own language. Well, that has nothing to do with you being baptized in the spirit because what the Bible is saying is that when you accept Jesus Christ you accept the spirit Romans talk about that when you have him you have his spirit so the spirit of God is in you whether you speak in tongues or not is that, is that everybody follow me there? however if there is a desire to have that gift the Holy Spirit is there to fulfill you and empower you but God's spirit dwelled in you the minute you accepted Jesus Christ and you got baptized. Okay. And so that's why he says, I baptize you with water, symbolism of being cleansed, being washed, you know, being regenerated, dying to your old self, coming up in newness of life. But in addition to the water, if you don't have the spirit to come on the inside of you, the water ain't going to do you no good. You, you just go down a dry devil and come up a wet devil because there is no magic in the water. Most of us know that. Amen. Man, I got baptized at 10 years old. And then no magic happened, Finley. I mean, I, I got out the water at 10 because mama pushed me up there, but that water didn't change nothing about me. But I was initiated into God's family Okay, but at the same time, nothing took place on the inside of me. It was only when I allowed the Spirit of God to get on the inside of me and start governing my life and start speaking to my spirit that you can see change in your life. And so that's why I tell people there got to be an inward change that come along with the physical change. The physical representation, water baptism, initiating you, bringing you into the club. Now that you're in the organization, now that you're in the family, now that you accept him, now you got to believe when you got water baptized, the Spirit of God came on the inside of you too. And that now that Spirit that's on the inside of you got to be nurtured, got to be fed. And so it will grow and start to win those battles that's going to come toward it because of the old you. That's why when we get saved, Paul always talks about this war that's going on on the inside of us. 
a side of us that want to do what the Lord wants us to do, and that old nature that never die completely. It keeps resurrecting itself all throughout our life, and that's why there's a constant battle that goes on between the spirit and the flesh. And that spirit you got when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life. He says, now look, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit, I'm reading this again, the sin and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So when I saw what was said happen, then now it's my job to testify that he is the chosen one of God. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. So guess what? When you got baptized and you became a believer, it became your job to testify. That's why your job is to testify to others about who Jesus is. That is not something the Spirit is going to do. That's something that we have to do. And we're going to see here in a minute that when that started to happening, people start telling others about Jesus. Look at what happens when we get to when Jesus called his first disciples. Uh, the first disciples show. Look at verse, starting in verse 35. He says, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. These people that John was standing with were his disciples. Amen? He had followers, but he baptized Jesus. I'm pretty sure he probably had baptized his disciples, but now he baptized Jesus, and Jesus take a higher precedence than him and his disciples. Now look, as, Je as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. Telling people that follow him, there is one that's greater that I am, than I am. He is pointing his followers, not to himself, but to Jesus. And guess what? Some of his followers going to pick up and start following Jesus. Man, you know, if John was a selfish guy, that would have been, that, you know, that would upset him. Man, you know, they've been following me all this time. And all of a sudden, here come this Lamb of God, and they're on jump ship. But John knew his job was still to point everybody to Jesus, even his own followers. He pointed them to Jesus. And because of that, some of those disciples of his became part of Jesus' group. He said, now look, when John, John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus, verse 38, looked around and saw them following. And he asked the question, what do you want? He asked them. Wow. Now, Think about that. You all sitting in here on a Wednesday night because you probably believe something about Jesus. So if he was to ask you, Finley, what 
do you want? I mean, you done came out, you followed me. What do you want? I mean, so I think, you ought to think, what is it that you want from Jesus? You follow him, why? He's asking you, what do you want? <laughs> Look what they said. He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where, where are you staying? Now, get this. If I see Finley, and he asks me what do I want, I believe he's a savior because I heard the, message, uh, heard the message of John. And then now I have this conversation, and, and I say, Finley, where are you staying? Now, the only reason I want to know where Finley stands is probably because I want to come where he is. If I don't care where he's going, I don't care where he's staying. But if I ask you what your address is, I may show up. Amen. And see, what, what you got to understand is that you got to see yourself in that you ought to know where he's staying at now. His spirit is in you. You found him. You accepted him. So he says, what do you want? He asked them, and they replied, Rabbi, which means, where are you staying? Then they, he said, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. These guys were showing that they were committed to Christ because they were willing to follow him to where he was staying, and then to stay with him the rest of the day. And by calling him rabbi, it lets us know that now they see him as their teacher. Even though they have been following John, they now decide they're going to follow Jesus. Don't, it's not slighting John. It's just that they have an opportunity now to follow the Savior of the world. Now look at this. This is where you got to see how we got to see ourselves in these next verses because he says in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who, uh, who, who one of these men, who, wait, let me get that right. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John, what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Now, what do you see in there? You got to tell somebody else about Jesus. And it ought to start with your family folk. Folk, folks that's close to you that don't know the Lord. Evangelism starts with you telling somebody else about the Lord. Ideally, it would be nice if we done told all our family members and to get passed on so that our whole family can say that they know the Lord. But the reason some of our family members don't know the Lord because we don't take the time to tell them that we have found him. We have come into that relationship with him. We know him 
as the Son of God. We know him as the light. We know him as the word. So therefore, if we never get that message out to friends and family, how will they ever know? Because it got, it's going to take more than just the preacher. The preacher proclaimed the gospel, but it's, it's the disciples that leave the teaching and go and spread the gospel. So these guys started with their family. Say, we found a Messiah, and what we found, we think is good enough for you. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So he changed Peter, uh, Simon's name to Peter, and Peter means rock, and some, this is where the Catholic Church uh, kind of get the teaching that Peter being the first apostle, I guess, and the one who is considered the father of the Catholic Church and everything, you know, when you go to Rome, they got St. Peter's Basilica and all that down there. Everything centers around Peter because they felt like when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, they saw Peter as being the foundation of the whole church. But I don't think Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm building this rock, you're the rock in that sense. I think Jesus said, hey, this is a principle upon this truth that was revealed to you. But if you interpret that, that, hey, Peter is the hub, the foundation, then you build everything off his teaching. And so therefore, a lot of things that you will learn in the, in the Catholic Church is taking the fact that when God, Jesus identified Peter in that light, they said, okay, he was the first apostle, he was the first, you know, Pope of the Catholic Church, okay? But whenever, we talked about this on Sunday, normally when your name changed, there's going to be a change in character. And so Jesus changed his name from, you know, and put it in the context of, of Peter, a stone, and look here. Verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Now the other guys told their family members about Jesus. Now Jesus this time go out and find Philip himself. And so what we got to see is that, look, we have to tell our family members, but then we got to rely now also on the Spirit. Because Jesus is not coming back in the flesh to do that. But the Spirit, through our teaching, through the things that we do, can still draw others. So Jesus found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Whenever Jesus called us to follow him, that means we got to leave something. You can't follow him and try to take everything with you. And that's where the dilemma comes in a lot of our lives because when he tells us to follow him, it means that we don't necessarily want to stop or give up something that he don't necessarily want us to bring along with us. And that's why when Jesus talked about to his disciples later on in his teaching, he tell them, everybody got to take up their cross and follow me. Well, he could have said, take up your basket, take up your blanket, take up your pillow, but he made a specific herb, take your cross and follow me. He was letting us know that, hey, this ain't going to be no easy journey. I mean, if you got to take up this instrument of the cross that is an instrument of punishment and death and da-da-da-da-da, 
then now we deceive people when we bring them into Christianity and make them think life is going to be easy. It ain't going to be easy all the time. There's going to be some tough times. Lisa, go ahead. I see your hand. Um, yes, let's go back to, you said Peter was the first pope of the Catholic Church, and you mean they just named the first pope Peter? Well, they saw him as the, the head of the church. Yeah, but what I'm saying, though, Peter wasn't a practicing Catholic. Am I making sense with my question? Because you said, even though, like, they saw him as the first pope, I mean, did they just name the pope Peter, or Peter was a practicing Catholic? Am I making sense? Well, I, don't, I wouldn't say he was practicing a practicing Catholic, but what happened is, as the religious leaders of that day got together, Catholicism just mean world religion, one world religion. So at first, the intent was when the Catholic Church got started is that all the religions of the world or all over the world was going to be, everybody was going to be one religion, Catholicism, one world religion. That's probably why the Catholic Church is the biggest Christian church in the world because they evangelized all over the world, even had crusades you know, spreading the gospel, doing some other stuff too. But so it, it is a world around religion. And so at one time, that was considered the universal religion until the Protestant broke away because they got upset with some of the rules that the Pope had and, you know, Martin Luther and those guys broke away. And at first, that's why you had what we call Catholics and Protestants. So if you wasn't a Catholic, you were a Protestant. Protestant just means protester. You protesting against the Catholic Church, and so therefore now you are Protestant. And then when you go from the Protestants, we got Protestants broke off now, and just instead of being Protestant, they became Baptists and Methodists, Episcopalians, and all other forms or religious denominations kind of spin off of that. But the Catholic Church kind of remains that see themselves still as that universal body. Now, this is just thing for your own head, but not to say this is doctrine or anything. There was a time when some Protestant leaders looked at the Catholic Church as more of a cult than a religion. And that's had, over a long time, that's why people kind of frown on Catholicism. Okay? But, you know, those, that mindset is kind of dissipated because, you know, I don't know, I'm just sharing. The Catholics, the Mormons, and I think it was Jehovah Witness, at one time, mainstream Christian churches, strong right, I would say, whatever Christian churches, saw all those religious faiths as cultic in nature and not true Christians. Now, that kind of died down you can still find that in some of their writings when they talk about the Catholic Church, when they talk about Jehovah Witness, when they talk about, you know, uh, what I say, Mormons. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an argument, you know, we can agree or disagree, but if everything had went according to the, the way the Catholic Church was built up based upon the foundation of Peter and the gospel, then Catholicism should have been one universal religion until they start breaking off. And that's when the Pope got so much power and still has a lot of power, you know, that start seeing 
that entity as being more God than man in some instances. So the Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church, you know, and, and that split still goes on to this day. But, then, but Jesus did recognize Peter as the rock. He called him the rock, and he said, upon this truth, I will build my church. And the truth was that, you know, that it was revealed to him that he was the son of God. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Okay. All right. All right, at least you'll maybe forget where I was at. What? 44, man, I was way down there. Ooh, man, okay. Okay. So the next day, look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So to believe that because these guys were all from the same hometown, they have, may have known each other. And because of that, when one got saved, the word got out, and they went and got others and witnessed to other people that they know, showing you here the pattern of how the gospel, how the message of Jesus Christ was starting to spread as he was calling his followers. Some he called himself, others went and found out about him through somebody else, and they went and got their family members. And, and I think that's the pattern. I, we should be sitting here tonight, and as a, as, a, as a pastor, standing here teaching you all, I should just assume that all y'all family members are saved. I, I should just assume that. I mean, I'm not talking about the ones that you know over you and like that that you can't tell. Now. But I'm talking about the ones that you got in front. If you're married and you got children, I should just assume that your children are saved, that you are bringing them up in the, in the faith. In, in, in what you believe and that they know who Jesus is. And so, if we're not teaching that downward to our children at an early age, then they're going to get up to a point in time where there are going to be other things that's going to come into their sphere of learning. That's why in a lot of, it, not that it works, but even in the Catholic Church, Finley, if you was born into a Catholic family, it is automatically assumed that you're going to be Catholic. You ain't going to even get no choice. By a certain number of time, you're going to be Christian. You're going to go through catechism. And when you go through catechism, it's going to be assumed you're going to be Catholic. And then they're going to even tell you sometimes when you want to get married, Finley, you can't just go out there and marry anybody. You need to marry your Catholic, somebody who is practicing the Catholic faith. I believe they got that from Judaism, because that's kind of how the Jews operate, that you marry other Jews. So they keep the faith and the family all connected. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, you know. You marry somebody you love. But I believe if you're a Christian, you ought to be looking for somebody who at least believes what you believe. Amen. Brother Herb, go ahead. Get a mic. Get a mic. It's one, one right there. I just want everybody to hear you online.
when you but when you say you're assumed, but but isn't that our responsibility as as a parent? Amen. I was being nice. I know you was. <laughs> I was being nice. I, I was being nice. I was being nice. I didn't want to sound like gay. But but it but it, that is our responsibility as 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 a parent. If you say that you are a Christian, and like you said, if this were that we should we are a son of 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 you know we are Christians now, and we if we believe this word and that's through Jesus Christ, then it's our responsibility to bring our children up in our family of, of the gospel, of the word. Amen. Um, a good example. All my daughters are saved. All of them say they love Jesus. And I'm automatically assuming that Quanda and Glenn is out there teaching my two grandsons about Jesus. I'm making the assumption that they're teaching them about Jesus. Now, how would I, I, I make feel a certain kind of way if one of my grandsons came to me one day and said, hey, Big Daddy, you know, Jesus was just a prophet. And he, he no, no greater than Mohammed. And so I feel like if I got Allah, I got God. And I can get to him without Jesus. Man, I have a problem with that. Now, they won't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, they would, I wouldn't disown them as my grandchildren, but I have a problem with their mom and their daddy. Saying, what did y'all teach them? What did y'all pass on to them? Did they even know that Jesus existed before they got some other teaching? Because other teachers gonna come now, children. I mean, they teaching everything I done now. You know, spiritualism, spiritualism you know, it's kind of a way to be religious without talking about Jesus. And so therefore, because people say, well, I'm spiritual, well, okay, that sounds real good. I ain't got to acknowledge Jesus. I just say I'm spiritual. I mean, I believe in a higher being. There is a power out there. Okay, what's that power name? Does the power have the name? You got to talk to me about the power. Does it got a name? It's just an energy force sitting out there in the universe somewhere that's causing all these changes. Now, what, what's his name? You know, do the power have a son? Well, I, you know, I, uh, well, whatever you believe in, that ain't lining up. That ain't what I believe. And so I have these conversations with, 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 my, with my oldest grandson all the time. Because, you know, he, he go to church believe in God, but he's, he's a free thinker. I mean, he's got that that, you know, that, that intellectual mind, and he's just a free thinker, so he asks tough questions like that. I tell, and sometimes he had me backed in the corner, and the only thing I can say is, hey, look, do whatever you believe, have Jesus as the Son of God. And that's the only way I can get him off. Because long as we talking spiritual stuff, he, I mean, he hanging with me. I, spirit this, you know, Dad, well, you know, Granddad, why, why are you going to say that? Because if, if I believe in crystals, you wear a copper band around your ankle, talking about it helping you heal you. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> you believe copper got some healing properties in it? You got you a, a knee brace that got copper in it. I said, man, yeah, you got me on that, but I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I do have it. Yeah, okay. So now he's trying to use that to make me think that these crystals got power too. That if 
I believe copper got power. Why can't these crystals that come from the earth that God created have power? Ooh, okay. Okay, we'll call that a draw. We'll call that a draw, got that. But now do the crystals lead you to Jesus? If they don't lead you to Jesus, then you can have any other spirit you want because that word spirit's out there. So the key thing is that we have to find out what we are being taught today that will lead us to Jesus who leads us to God. Because sometimes there are things that will lead people to what they say is God, but they may not have Jesus nowhere in the equation. And for us as Christians, Jesus is a deal breaker. Amen. Now, I don't want people to think that EJ is all out there. He ain't crazy like that. But, we, but he's smart. So he, when I go at him hard like that, he come back. I mean, he asks intellectual type questions that I have to kind of back off him sometimes. Okay, yeah, that's the point. I, I, yes, I, yeah, you, that's a good point. You're right. So, okay. But I ain't worshiping, no, I ain't worshiping this copper. <laughs> Amen. I ain't worshiping this copper. I got this brace on me. I ain't worshiping this copper now. <laughs> I, I ain't playing this copper. But I don't know enough about crystals to, yeah, neighbor, I just know that I, I ain't put my faith in no crystals, that's for sure. You know. But anyway, let me move on, let me move on. Now look, he, he, he was talking, he says now, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Then he says, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him we have found the very Moses the very person Moses and the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about his name is Jesus the son of Joseph of Nazareth in other words Jesus earthly father you know who was Mary's husband they connect him there because normally people connected by their bloodline to their father so he said now look they go to Nathiel and again witnessing to somebody else about what they heard about Jesus, what they witnessed, you know. And look what Nathaniel Nathaniel says. He says, Nazareth? I mean, he said with emphasis, Harlem? <laughs> Southside Chicago? Watts, LA? He exclaimed, can anything good come from New York? So he, he was saying, that, look, Nazareth may have been a place that didn't have a necessarily good reputation. Some of us come out of cities that don't have good reputation. You know, whenever you hear the south side of Chicago, you don't think of all the good things that may be happening on the south side of Chicago. You think, hey, man, that's a rough side, man. Hey, you don't live on, you don't live on the west side, north side, somewhere. You don't live on the south side. A lot of times when people here in New York, and you say, well, where you live at? I live in Harlem. When you hear Harlem, people say, you know, I thought, you know, they go to New York. A Adrian, I know you're from New York. Hey, man, you don't want to go across 110th Street. You know, when you, when, you, when you go across 110th Street, you're going into Harlem. Can anything good come out of Harlem? And we know the answer to that is yes. Yes. But sometimes a place can get a bad reputation based upon a few people. And then somebody will believe that nothing good can come out of there when there's a whole lot of good things that will come out of Harlem and the south side of Chicago. So he said this, you know, 
Can anything good come from there, from Nazareth? Then he says, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, uh, as they approached, Jesus said, now look what Jesus says. Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now Jesus is talking about Nathaniel. He is revealing who he is before he even meet him. And he's t- see, we now see his, what we call about, you know, when we talk about God being omnipresent, omniscient, and, I'm, uh, and, and uh, omnipresent, omniscient, omniscient, knowing he's everywhere, know everything, and he's almighty. So now Jesus is revealing here, he said, look, I know something about you that you don't even think I ought to know. He said, now look, he called him a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And he come back and say this, how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked, Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now that blew his mind right there. Because he was probably under the fig tree meditating or praying or doing something. And Jesus said, look, I saw you before you even saw me. I knew you before you even knew me. And that changed his heart right there because now he done revealed something about himself. That's what light does. That's what light does. It reveals, he reveals something to him about himself before he even met him and talked to him. That was enough to change his heart. Then look what he said. Then Nathiel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Now this is a dude who just said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But all of a sudden he got a revelation based upon the fact that Jesus knew something about him that he knew only Jesus could have known. And that was enough to allow him to see Jesus as the son of God and the king of Israel. Then look what Jesus says as we wrap this up. He says, Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under a fig tree? Under the fig tree? He says, you will see greater things than this. So in other words, it's a belief that he became a follower of Jesus also. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now, in order to get a good, clear picture of that, you have to kind of remember Jacob in his dream sin, the stairway going to heaven, angels descending up and down. And he said, look, when you get a revelation of who I am, you're going to see the Son of Man as this stairway, as this go-between earth and heaven. I, I, am this, I am this gateway. I am this bridge. I am what it's going to take to connect you to earth and heaven. Our way back to heaven go through Jesus. And so, therefore, when we accept him, we got to see ourselves as accepting an invitation to go back to the place where we get into the presence of God. And so, 
All of this in this first chapter kind of reveals a couple things. One, John started off by talking about Jesus being the word, and then now we go all the way over to the end where people start to realize and see him as the Messiah, the Savior. And John made it clear that his job was to share that word, to spread the word, to herald the gospel, to be the forerunner of the Messiah of the world. And so it's our job now, as we leave here, as we go out, it's our job to be the light in darkness. It's our job to be the word that is sharing that word with others. It's our job to represent Jesus in the earth. And as we do that, we allow ourselves to be used for his glory to bring others to his kingdom. Angels is not going to come down and do what God has called enough to do. We have a responsibility, to, and I say this, to start with our family. That's the first thing, man. Whether they believe you or not, they ought to at least know you have reached out and shared the gospel with them. And if you get them saved, then hope that they were going to share that same gospel with somebody else. Because if we don't do it, we don't, you don't want to get it to the point in your family where your great-grandchildren may not even know who Jesus is. May not even know who Jesus is. So that's why, you know, I get a kick out of when my call my, my daughter and she say, you know, uh, your grandson running around here acting like he preaching. I say, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that. But she say, he right here, yeah, I want to be like Big Daddy. Yeah. I like that. Y'all got him on the right track now, you know. And, 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 and then I hear that. I say, Lord, just let me live long enough to see him fulfill that. If that's what he want to be like, that's what I want. So that means on the right track. And what I'm trying to say, all of us need that testimony when it comes to our children, our family, and those who are close to us. We have an obligation. Whether they reject us, it don't matter. You still have the obligation to tell them the truth. And if they walk away from it, their blood is not on your hand but we have an obligation. Amen? Amen. All right, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.